Pastor Xavier Reese, and the struggle of resisting temptation made simple. We have to be very clear that the flesh and the spirit are in contrary to each other. Galatians 6, 5, 16 through 17. The spirit is against the flesh, the flesh is against the spirit. You cannot do that what you would. There's a warfare going on. Your sin nature is with you until the day you die. And if you don't walk in the spirit, you will walk in the flesh and so will I. There's no option. It's flesh or spirit. There's no in between. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's a curious thing how television and movies are fond of salaciously dramatizing the lure of infidelity, but fairly disingenuous about the devastation and ruin that inevitably follows. Broken families, unwanted pregnancy, disease, even death and murder. And in a case such as David and Bathsheba, at first it may appear as though an adulterer got away with this sin. Yet Pastor Xavier explains how quickly the resulting harm and destruction was to follow. Let's listen now to the conclusion of a simple truth study drawn from 2 Samuel chapter 11. King David tarried in Jerusalem. Notice there in verse 1. David had always led his men into battle. He fought the wars of the Lord. We have seen this. But the emphasis he shouldn't have been there at Jerusalem. Now, look at verse 2. The temptation of David began very innocently. David happened to rise from his bed and walk out on his roof top of his house in the evening. David saw a very beautiful woman bathing from his rooftop. Of course, as king, he's got the highest peak there in, in the uh, city of David, Ophel, and he's looking down on the rest of the people. This was David's first check by the Spirit of God when he saw her. What is wrong is what he did with the impermissible or evil thoughts after he was confronted with it. You understand? David had a crisis, a crucial point where he was either going to resist the sin or run with it. Look at verse 3. The commitment of David on his course of action was set. David inquired about the woman Let's take this as the second check. Okay? He did not resist his sin nature and yielded to ongoing lust. Notice still in 3, David was admonished by a nameless servant that could see his intentions. The third check. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Three things. Boom, boom, boom. Always giving us a way of escape. But will we take it? Look at verse 4. The determination of David to sin had been made up in his mind at this point. He made the worst decision of his entire life. He chooses and decides to ignore the warnings of God and his servants. He sent messengers to take her, and she came to him. This is the fourth check. David's acting as if he is above the law. He is not. The fifth check was when she came to David before sinning. Then it says he lay with her. One night stand. Bathsheba became pregnant. She conceived, verse 5 tells us. Notice the second movement comes, 6 through 13. 
the cover-up of David. 6 to 8, the first plot by David to cover his sin is given to us. David sent a message to the general uh, Joab to send Uriah back to the battle. David's corrupting his power here. David asked Uriah about Job, Joab and the people of the war there in verse 7. And this was the first check for David to tell the truth. He didn't do it. David was hoping Uriah would sleep with his wife to cover up her pregnancy. David told Uriah to go down to the house and to wash his feet. The expression is a euphemism to apply to rest in his home and to have sex with his wife, to enjoy her. Look at 9 through 11. The first plot by David failed. In verse 9, Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Uriah proved to be more righteous and faithful than David, which I believe convicted David even more so. Look at 10. David questioned Uriah why he didn't go to his house. You know, I mean, David is not calm, cool and calm. He is, I mean, he's trying to get this thing done, you understand? David was told that Uriah had not gone down to his house. The report came back to him. And so David said to Uriah, why did, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? David was encouraging Uriah to break a discipline of soldiers in battle that refrain themselves from women. You remember when David went to Nob when he ran from Saul? And the priest there, Ahimelech, he says, have the men kept themselves from women because he asked for the bread? He says, yes, they have. This was a custom for Samuel 21, 4 through 5. And so Uriah answers David, and his answer had to convict David regarding Uriah's integrity. Listen to his words in verse 11. It is a mild rebuke to David for suggesting that Uriah put his personal pleasure before his duty of a soldier. He pledged his devotion to God first. Listen. And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. David was dwelling in the king's house. He placed his loyalty to his commanding general and fellow soldier. Second, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. David had not gone out to war but remained in Jerusalem. And then he placed his faithfulness in character. Listen, shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? The rhetorical question was now, is that never on your mind, never in your life? David had laid with his wife. Shall I lie with my wife? David had laid with his wife. And he pledged the vow before David. Listen, by David, as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. David did. And David deserved death. But David would cause the death of Uriah. Uriah again reproved, proved to be more righteous and faithful than David, which had to have convicted David. I believe this was the second chance, the second check. David had to tell the truth to Uriah, having ignored the first when he brought him from the field. Every one of us get checks, and you keep pushing those lines. 
Once you cross that line, there's the point of no return. You understand? You have to be careful. Look at verse 12 and 13. The second plot of David to cover his sin failed again. In verse 12, David gave Uriah two more days leave. How gracious of him. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also. And tomorrow I will let you depart. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And so in verse 13, David attempted to get Uriah drunk. I mean, David's wheels are turning. I mean, he's just like a ever-ready bunny, you know. Just keeps taking. He's just running all around. He got him drunk that he might lower his inhibitions and go sleep with his wife. David invited Uriah to the house. Now when David called him, they ate, they drank before him, and he made him drunk. David must have been so far removed from God. Think about it. To do all this. To be conversing with Uriah. I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. Treacherous. Still in 13, notice David was reproved by Uriah's character. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Uriah proved to be more honorable drunk than David sober. Isaiah warns us, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord Yahweh, who takes counsel, but not of me, and who devises plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Isaiah 30, verse 1. You guys remember the studies in Isaiah. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If David only would have stopped in all those checks. The cover-up by David was persistent. Now notice the third movement. 14 through 21. David ordered the murder of Uriah. David's desperation is seen here. He involves Joab by writing a letter sent by the hand of Uriah. Uriah was carrying his own death orders. What an honorable man. Didn't even open them. Man. The content of the letter is very specific. Say Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. Retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Joab gained power over David knowing this little dirty secret. Joab was a pretty harsh man as it was. David had a hard time controlling the sons of Zuriah. But now he had David. I've got you, David. I've got power over you now. You're all mine. Verse 16, Joab besieged the city and assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. Joab was an accomplice to the murder and covering up adultery by ordering the suicide mission. Notice 17, the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David fell. Uriah the Hittite died also. Joab knew a brave and loyal soldier had died to hide David's sin. Joab knew that other honorable men had died 
that day to cover up David's sin. He had to live with that. Uriah and the servants were probably mercenaries, not Hebrews by, by origin, by natural origin. But David said, if I'm going to sacrifice some, let's, let's, let's do the ones that aren't from Israel. What an abuse of power. You understand? There's a disconnect here. They weren't his sons. They weren't his family. So you just write them off. And Joab is smart enough to figure it out. You're all mine, David. You owe me. David was sent the news about Uriah's death. Verse 18, Joab sent a war update to David. Joab expected David to question his wisdom for such an attack. He says, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matter of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Joab's covering himself, you understand? And Joab reproves David in the second part. Don't miss it by a historical example. He says, who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerobesheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near to the wall? The text is Judges 9, 50-54. If you don't think there's a little dig by Joab reminding David that he's in control now. Interesting, it was David who was brought down by a woman within the wall cities of Jerusalem, not outside the wall cities. Interesting. David was a casualty by his own doing. Wow. Notice Joab appeased David by providing the answer David was waiting to hear. And he was probably very, very anxious. Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. How many of rapists, abductors, in their desperation to cover up their crime, have killed their victims in order to not be found out? Never having murder in mind at the beginning. Sin is progressive, and it always becomes more ruthless as it takes the next step. I don't think I have to tell you anything about that. You're a sinner just like me. We understand it clearly. We are to be very clear that the flesh and the spirit are in contrary to each other. Galatians 6, 5, 16 through 17 the spirit is against the flesh. The flesh is against the spirit. You cannot do that which you would. There's a warfare going on. Your sin nature is with you until the day you die. And if you don't walk in the spirit, you will walk in the flesh and so will I. There's no option. It's flesh or spirit. There's no in between. We are to be careful to not be partakers of other men's sins, but to keep ourselves pure. 1 Timothy 5.22 if you're aware of some person's sin and they want to make you part of it, you stay away from it. You confront them in love to restore them, and we'll get into that more in chapter 12, but you don't partake. You remain pure. And if you love that person, you'll confront them and you're hoping for repentance. You understand? The flesh will cause us to become desperate 
and do destructive things because our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, it's from the heart that proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, adultery, so on and so on, and murders. The heart. The desperation of David made him heartless. Absolutely heartless. Nor does the fourth movement. The deception of David. 22 through 27. 22 through 24, David thought he had covered his sin. The messenger came to David, reported how the enemy had prevailed over them in the field, but they had driven them back to the gate in verse 22 and 23. And then in 24, the messenger then said, The archer shot from the wall at your servant, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. You can hear the relief of David. It's over. I'm safe. That is such deception. David's plot to cover his sin had caused the death of many other courageous soldiers. Look at 25. David thought he could shrug off his evil deed. He sent back word to Joab not to consider it evil in his eyes. You got to consider. He has to be way out there. He's not walking with God. He's, out, he's been out there for quite a while. And by the way, he'll remain this way for almost a year when we get to chapter 12. Thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Whoa. He sent orders to Joab to overthrow the city, then strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. And he told the messenger to encourage Joab with these, in this way. So encourage him. Wow. Who is this guy? A man after God's own heart, David. David thought convincingly he had gotten away with his sin. Look at 26 and 27. And 26, the reality... Of her sin hit her. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Can't take it back. Can't undo things. It's done. She must have died in herself when she heard that Uriah died, knowing her guilt of unfaithfulness. And she must have asked David at some time, we don't know that, she must have said, David, did, did you order the death of my husband? And you wondered, did he tell her the truth or not? And that's always in the back there. That couldn't be good for the relationship. You understand? If as, as you as husband and wives keep secret from yourselves, you never enjoy each other because it's always there. You're afraid you're going to be found out. You better keep your account short. You better live honestly. If you've blown it, you make sure you confess and you get some forgiveness and you make sure you reconcile and you move forward. You keep that hidden, you will not be able to enjoy your relationship with your bride or your husband. You understand me? You'll live with guilt. Every time they say, honey, I love you so much, you're so good to me, you go, I'm a dog. You, you can't enjoy it. You understand me? She mourned Uriah, but the pain of deception and treachery cannot be cried away. Look at 27. David thought he would appear compassionate and benevolent before all. This guy's too much. He just keeps rolling on. 
David waited till her mourning was over, usually seven days, and then brought her to his house. And David married Bathsheba. She became his wife and bore a son. Bathsheba was quite a lady. She had power over David to the very last day of his death, 1 Kings 1, 11 through 31. So she's not what she's cracked up to be at this point. She's the one that's always with David to the very end. And she manipulates David. David's deed was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is how it finishes. Listen. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord Yahweh. There is no creature hidden from his sight, Hebrews 4.13 says, the first portion. Let me say that adultery does not have to be the end of marriage if there's genuine repentance and godly forgiveness your marriage can thrive and become better but it takes the dying of two people to self and it takes a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and after 36 years of ministry I can tell you that the majority of Christians are not willing to die to self at that point very few do that now it is the only reason for biblical divorce but it's not a command it's an option But if you have been forgiven much, you're a debtor. Again, the condition is if there's genuine repentance. So that's all I'll say. We're going to get into it in chapter 12, okay? Because I see some of your guys' brain turning and smoke coming out. Okay? (laughs) You guys remember Gehazi? He He deceived himself thinking that Elijah would not have known that he went after name to get the garments and the gold and the silver and everything else. And when he came back, Elijah said, where you been, Gehazi? Oh, nowhere. What a great answer. He went nowhere. He says, the leprosy that was on Naaman will come upon you now. Whoa. The Bible says that our sin will find us out. Numbers 32, 23. The danger in becoming a Pharisee is going through the motions of spirituality while all along being carnal and being a hypocrite. Matthew 6 has much to say about that. The deeds we do may seem godly before man, but God sees them. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. Hebrews 13, the latter portion. I will have to give an account to Jesus Christ for everything I have ever done. He will hold me accountable. The book of James warns us against the art of self-deception, being only a hearer. James 1.22. But be a doer of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. David's deception was self-deception. So here you have David's sin of adultery marked by this four-fold progressive movement laid out for us. The sin of David was premeditated. The cover-up by David was persistent. The desperation of David made him heartless. And the deception of David was self-deception. Don't waste this stuff. God has gone out of his way to keep it in the record of the Bible. 
for you, for me, for everybody. Pastor Xavier Reese has been using the devastating story of David and Bathsheba of 2 Samuel 11 to illustrate the mounting destruction built into the deception of sin. Now, today's study is simply titled, The Adulterous Sin of David, and is available on CD upon request for just $4. And by the way, this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, The Adulterous Sin of David, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 